Welcome to episode 179 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I am your host, Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are here broadcasting in the Pat Cave, deep in the bowels of Magenta Manor. And of course, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee as a part of the Dorkening Network. And we, I am, of course, uh, joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of wine, and the queen of the monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes Von Nightmare. May the force be with you. And also with you. <laughs> and we are very happy, as you can tell. I'm, I'm, a, little, uh, I'm a little hyped up because uh, we have an awesome guest with us today. So make, excited. Making his second appearance on the show, first in uh, about a year and a half, actually. Uh, he is, uh, I would say, the star of the hit Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. No. Uh <laughs> I will say that because I have been I have been pushing the character so much. You don't have to say it, but like we all we all know we all know everybody knows. Uh, it's it's a tie between you and uh, and the child, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dominic Pace. Hey Patrick, hey Ashes, and hello to all your listeners. Happy to be here. What a what a great week. Oh, this is oh, so man. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah we're very excited to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So. What we like to do, we like get folks a little bit of a background on you, you know, before we get into like your your resume so much. We're going to talk a little bit about some some random facts and what we call our getting into character segment. So uh, we've got three questions for you and uh, they're going to be just super random out of left field stuff that, you know, hopefully no one's ever asked you in an interview. So, okay. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> I ain't got no scandals out there yet. Otherwise, I'd cut this short. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think anyone knows any scandals. There may be some, but uh, no, no scandals yet. So go right ahead. All right. So the first, uh, the first question that I have for you is: When you're, you know, trying to relax in between, you know, uh, acting gigs, what type of snacks do you like to have? Like if you're, if you're uh, just kind of chilling at home and. You know, maybe watching an episode of The Mandalorian or, yeah. you know, something else. Like, what kind of snacks do you like to have? Absolutely. My son was adorable. He had some kind of, like, it was like a Father's Day, I think, a year or two ago. And it was like, why do you love your dad? And it was like, it literally was simplified down to, he makes me nachos. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that's great. That's great. I, I'm so happy. You can put that on my epitaph. He makes great nachos. Um, <laughs> It literally is just simple. I like to do the no salt on the nachos because then it gets a little too – it's like getting a Diet Coke. You're like, oh, I'm being healthy. No salt nachos. <laughs> um, but I, what I'll do is I'll sprinkle the cheese on. It, yes, it takes a very good chef to do this. you got to put it in the microwave for a minute. Um, so that will be uh, – that's one of them. I can't get enough of Cheetos, man. I mean, I don't know what the hell we're eating. God knows if 20 years from now we're going to have you know some growth on the side of our ear. But I'll tell you. Uh, Cheetos for me, just the regular uh, crunchy Cheetos are, is the way to go. Nice. Ashes? So we know you're a Star Wars fan. What is your favorite character from the original trilogy? Han Solo. You know, we were in an age of uh, women empowerment, and I think it's freaking awesome. At the same time, us men are alphas, too, and I think there needs to be more of it as well. That we can coexist, but uh, the Harrison Ford himself, in terms of being, I, can, I think you can count on one hand, Perhaps maybe Burt Reynolds, uh, maybe Sean Connery of alphas with charisma, alpha males who had charisma at the same time. And, and Harrison Ford was that in terms of just the figures itself. There was nothing cooler than Boba Fett. Uh, what kid did not like boy or girl love playing with a jetpack? 
uh, you know, an action figure with a jetpack and one of these cool, mysterious helmets and such. So kind of uh, leading in from that, if you could have had any of the accessories from any of your toys in real life, because you are an avid collector, you know, like if you could have something from your collection actually be functional, uh, what would you choose? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I mean, I really love it. I just got the replica. Actually, I bought a replica of the Han Solo blaster. I thought that was pretty darn cool, you know? It just fits so perfectly. And, I mean, just in your hand and just the way that it was. It just, you know, it's not only a tribute to George Lucas and John Williams, but also all of his designers. I mean, throughout the years, every, even sometimes where some of the episodes might be weaker than others or, you know, there might be something you didn't like. I mean, you really got to hand it to the designers of the costumes um, and, and also uh, the weapons, uh, you know, in, in the fantasy world, it's so much fun, you know, and, and it always has been for me, even with the Stallone movies and, and Schwarzenegger movies. Uh, I mean, it still was just always the fantasy world. I never took it into reality, but weapons are pretty awesome. And, and uh, the Han Solo blaster, I would have to say. I, I have a little bit of a bonus question for you based on, on that, that response that you have. It kind of made me think, um, based on all like the action movies and, and iconic weapons and, uh, kind of accessories that a lot of these characters have had throughout the years, you know, not just Star Wars, but throughout all of cinema. Is yeah. there a specific, you know, weapon or accessory that you think is just head and shoulders above everyone else that you're like, this is it. This is the iconic one right here. You mean of all different movies? All different yeah, like Conan the Barbarian sword uh, or like the Highlander sword or something like that. You know, I mean, what I keep thinking about and I mean, you know, that's something I may need to think about for a bit, but... I, I just love the uh, the ectoplasma thing from the Ghostbusters. I thought that was so much fun. Yeah, the proton packs. Yes. The proton pack, yeah. I thought that was pretty awesome in terms of sci-fi and fantasy and such. I 100% agree. That's a mm-hmm. that's a really good one. Yep. Plus, they had one of the best vehicles ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They got one. They have the updated one uh, over at Sony Pictures, and it's so funny. It's like, I'll, I'll have to go to an audition, and I'm, like, focusing on three pages or four pages, and I'm like, wait, i got to stop. i got to take a look at this thing. They have it parked uh, <laughs> in one of the offices. It's like, wait, five, 10-year-old child for a few minutes. Okay, now i got to go study again. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I mean, but, I mean, that's fair. It's, I would... it's balance. It's all balance, you know? I, I don't... Absolutely, actually. You know, absolutely. It's just, uh, yeah, i, I got to take you guys. Um, the wife is over at Paramount, and she ha- they have one – of the prop rooms, they're, they're not as advanced as Warner Brothers, which is probably the best tour in Hollywood as far as uh, behind the scenes. Sony does an okay job, but Paramount's starting to catch up. And they've got one room where they have a life-size Bumblebee and a life-size Optimus Prime, the real truck, what? inside the room. Uh, love to take you guys in there if you're ever in town. Um, it's a pretty cool little prop room there. That would be pretty That's awesome. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, and the Bumblebee is in, in you know, uh, the shape of the robot. And then the Optimus Prime is in, in the form of the truck there, but it's life-size. That's amazing. Wow, that's like, incredible. Oh, yeah. So that's now, I, now I've just come up with another question. Is yeah. there a life-size prop like that that you haven't seen that you would love to see, like from any film? Like, oh, I would love to see a life-size version. Like I know at uh, Galaxy's Edge at Disney, they have the life-size Millennium <laughs> Falcon. Is I've got a great story that kind of segues into Mandalorian. On my second day on set, they had this LED screen, which was just beyond belief. And they had a, like two rows of MIT grads um, operating this thing, which is just mind-boggling in terms of just the, the, how, the clarity of this thing, even when you're in person seeing it. So we were getting whisked away to lunch, and I had a cloak on. I was with maybe two or three of the other bounty hunters. And I come around the corner, and one of my first – I can talk about it now. It's just so weird because I had to keep it secret forever. Um, I come around the corner – 
and I see a life-size uh, land speeder. And oh. I, I, I let out like a little yelp. Because, and, and I remember I had some of the guys like looking at me like, is this guy going to be okay? But that was really trippy because that was one of my first vehicle toys. And to see that life-size in person and the fact that it was all kind of weathered up, I think you can see it, you know, they used it in episode one there for uh, The Mandalorian. Uh, that, to me, really was freaking me out. It was just amazing. That's super cool. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm with you. I'd be I'd be the exact same way. Like, yeah. like I'm trying to be a pro here, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's like this part of my childhood just jumped out at me. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, that was something else. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the 80s uh, vehicles, you know, from the A-Team to the DeLorean, I mean, the Knight Rider, the kit there is just uh, absolutely amazing. We, had, we just grew up in the greatest time ever. You know, it really was such a special time uh, for content, and which is the reason I wanted to be part of this business. I keep telling people, and, you know, as much as obviously I have such a respect for acting, uh, it, there seems to be obviously a limited group, you know, the top five agencies that get the shot at the Oscar. For me, I mean, the, the definition of that in terms of, you know, reaching the top in many ways would be my own action figure. So we're praying hard for next year that that might come true. And that would, to me, be the, the top of the mountain in many ways. And I really hope you get there because, A, it's a really great character design. And, B, that would just be just fucking cool. Right? <laughs> Coolest thing, the coolest thing ever, and, and uh, I mean, it would lead to a lot of great opportunities, but, uh, you know, it's funny, I had this one uh, name actor, you know, we were on set, I was doing some Joey Fatone uh, TV series, it's a new show, it's gonna, I, it's called the Wheel of Scroll, Scroll Wheel of Time, and uh, he plays this giant on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he's been on a couple of shows, and he's like, dude, are you worried about being a stigma? I'm like, never, I'm gonna get a tattoo of this freaking character, I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, you're gonna be stereotyped, you're gonna be typecast. Typecast the hell out of me in Star Wars. I don't care. <laughs> right. I will, live, I will sign until I'm 80 years old. I'm that guy. I'm that body hunter. Go right the freak ahead. Oh, you're not going to cast me in Crime Drama number 5022? Go right ahead. I'm Mr. Bounty Hunter. Thank you so much. Like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. it's just, it's so cool that you get to be a part of the the Star Wars legacy. Thank you. Like Thank you, and, you know, one of the things I keep saying in a lot of the podcasts is that I feel like it's like a blessing, you know, if there's any type of Hollywood blessing. And the one thing that I want to try and do, um, I told my agents, is try and fly in as early as possible for any of the conventions and leave as late as possible. Because I want to at least if I'm going to be, you know, have this blessing and to perhaps be an ambassador for Bounty Hunters or for um, Star Wars, um, if I can touch a child's life in terms of children's hospitals or outreach in regards to homeless, or, you know, I'm involved in the women's downtown shelter here in L.A. to where if my autograph can, you know, go up for an auction at a raffle to raise money for good causes, um, that, that actually is just as special to me in regard, as opposed, and, and, along with, I'm sorry, along with uh, touring uh, and meeting all the fans and, and uh, fellow Star Wars people. That's awesome to hear. Like, you know, I know a lot of folks will do that stuff behind the scenes, but it's just, it's yeah. great to hear, you right. know, yeah. it, you're giving back. Right. right. And and as a fan, as a fan of Star Wars, as a fan of so many things, it makes me really excited to know that other fans are working on these projects. You know, you're a fan of what you're doing. You're you're a fan of this franchise franchise. And, yeah. you know, it just it just kind of emphasizes how great not only how great you know, the franchise is, but how great this product is going to be because authentic people are working on it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Asses. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell you how 
you know, uh, proud I was each and every day. And, and people are asking me, oh, did you go up to George or Dave or John? No. You know, it, it, you're, you're part of a team. And, and when you're proud to be part of a team, uh, I mean, it's just about being on time and being in the right place at the right time. And when they say, you know, this is what needs to de- be done, respect for Deborah Chow who's going to be taking on the Kenobi series and how much I owe her. I literally, they had to do a cut in the cantina after the first week. And um, I could have been part of that cut. And if it, it was for Deborah. Um, that allowed me to go outside and be able to be part of that standoff and to flank Carl Weathers. I owe it all to her uh, to be able to hopefully potentially get a dream come true, which, you know, is the action figure. And, and also even, you know, a tops card, which happened today, um, even though it was kind of vague, uh, to hopefully get another card or, or opportunity, illustrations, things like that. Um, it, it just, you know, I was so grateful each and every day. And like I said, right now, it's not only about receiving the reward, but also trying to pay it forward the best I can to share it with so many uh, amazing, passionate Star Wars fans. Uh, I mean, what a beautiful series it is in so many ways. It goes so, so much beyond just like going to base- a baseball game with your, you know, the person you love or your family or what have you. It goes beyond the field in terms of how, this, how much this series touches people. So just to be part of that, of something that in a positive way and all the things that are going on now where everybody is so divided in so many ways, but for the most part, 99.8% of the population uh, of the entire world, something that's positive and a, a form of escapism. That's the whole reason I wanted to be a part of this industry was to, to help people escape no matter where, what walk of life you came from. And to be a part of that has been such an honor. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to, uh, wrap up the first part of this discussion we'll take a quick break and when we come back we're going to get into some more mandalorian stuff we're going to talk a ton of star wars you know your experience our experience and uh yeah so we'll be right back deadly grounds coffee knows how important your coffee is to you every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest deepest smoothest flavor you'll ever find we're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Hey there. This is JB, and if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma. Hi, my name is Grando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. And you're listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. 
And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. And we are back. So, like I said, you know, we're we're here with with Dominic from uh, the Mandalorian. You've got tons and tons of IMDb credits. Um, you know, we don't have to go through your entire resume, but we, you know, really met you and and kind of got in contact with you through me actually liking some of the uh, asylum posts about Megalodon because I love me some giant shark movies, and like that's how you and I first started communicating. And I was like, hey, why yeah. don't you come on the podcast? And you're like, sure, I'll bring half the cast with me. And I was like, holy shit, I wasn't expecting that. So Absolutely. that ended up. It was an exciting experience. No, I've been a blue collar actor for 25 years. You know, for me, I've had a few agents that I've let go because ultimately it, it's just, you know, I, I just love the, the craft so much. I love being on set so much. You never know where a film's going to lead. Yes, in a perfect world, you know, just like any job. It'd be like, no, you know, you don't want to take that position because this position is going to be higher and now that you're at this level you want to keep this rate etc etc if i kept that mentality the dream of a lifetime would not have come true because this opportunity with star wars was from a simple makeup test and for me it's like you know just a vow that i always made to my wife and my kids and my family that you know there is no being sitting around acting like you know you're above it all and sometimes you have to die for the ball and you know some of those projects may not be amazing some of them may be great but at the same time I think, you know, I don't want to necessarily pigeonhole it to that East Coast mentality, but I feel like with the original immigrants of the country, you know, we, we were raised with our grandparents and our parents who literally had to work hard. I mean, and this is, this is sort of a, you know, in many ways, it's a very spoiled industry. It's a spoiled business. So I came from that mentality where it's like you get nothing and like it, you know, and the world and the country doesn't owe you a thing. You have to work for it. So um, those credits that you see, I'm very proud of. And, and the other thing is, in between those credits, I'm very proud of in terms of doing every single odd job I can in order to keep the dream alive. And, and lo and behold, 25 years later, uh, things have gotten easier because I've been uh, persistent in that matter. And uh, and here we are. And, uh, and obviously, <laughs> I'm just uh, for the first time in my career, just taking a, a, a step back, leaning back on my laurels and just being so grateful for this uh this priceless opportunity as a lifelong Star Wars fan. Yeah, so that's going to be uh, kind of how we we start this here because you know you've mentioned in you know several interviews and you know just interactions you and I have had that you've you've been a lifelong Star Wars fan. So yeah. what was your first introduction to Star Wars? Like when did you first get into it? Sure, I grew up with a single mom. Uh, we didn't have much money, but she did go out of her way to buy the Cantina playset along with, I believe, the original eleven or twelve figures even before I can spell. And, and the reason I know that is because we had that alphabet board, you know, the magnetic board. And I remember uh, spelling the original side characters like Walrus Man and Jawa and Snaggletooth and Greedo. Those were like the first words that were easy for me to associate with actually enjoying uh, learning how to spell. Um, that was the first uh, set that I had. We would go to the library often and we used to put on these big headphones and listen to different um you know records and one mm -hmm. of them happened to be uh the soundtrack to uh, star wars with john williams i did not see the original part four in the theater it wasn't until 1980 when i was about five or six years old that i was just absolutely blown away 
what's still uh, my favorite film of all time, The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And it just had such a profound effect on me. I think, you know, the, most directors will usually scale back uh, a composer. You know, it's usually, it's not about the composer. A lot of times as an actor, they will scale you back and say, look, it's not about you. I'm here to tell a story. And the fact that he gave John Williams just carte blanche to just completely go all out, something that's never been done before. It's like inventing the wheel. Um, music to kids, I think, really speaks volumes. And I think it's more, it resonates more than sometimes the visual. And I think there's a lot to be said about the magic of this genius. And I had the pl- privilege of seeing him three months ago at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, and I hope he never leaves us. Uh, what a legend of a man, not only through Star Wars, but also all the films that we have loved. I mean, even when you talk about uh, dramas, you know, like Schindler's List, um, I mean, the list just goes on and on. You know, The Terminal, uh, Saving Private Ryan, the man is just a an American treasure. And there's something to be said about that, um, along with what has made Star Wars magical to me, the parallels of life, um, the parallels of family, and between light and good. I, I'm, I'm concerned with episode nine because I hope that Disney understands that the reason that Star Wars is so special has nothing to do with how many pew pew pews there are and how many lightsabers and, and battles and, and this crazy backstory that they may try to formulate. It comes down to the simplification of family. And that is what, to me, has made Star Wars so magical. And I was able to relate, just like so many other kids. Um, people don't realize this, but Darth Vader and Luke, uh, again, transcends into life in terms of that's the conflict between a lot of fathers and daughters, a lot of fathers and sons. Leia was right there, too. So fathers and daughters, fathers and sons. And then also you can bring on the next generation to where it was Anakin and, and, and Obi-Wan to where, you know, you have a brotherhood. Uh, that's those are the moments to me that really have uh, resonated over the years. And I think that's what makes it so special and why I've been such a fan. I'm actually not a huge sci-fi fan, but Star Wars to me has been special because of that reason. So who are your and you, you might have, uh, you know, tipped your hand a little bit talking about the Cantina playset on this question. But uh, who are your top five favorite characters? Oh, boy. Aside from uh, Gecko. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we have the original. I mean, you have to, you know, hands down, it would have to be the OT, you know, and you and you literally don't have to even look past that um, in terms of, you know, you've got Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill. I mean, I don't mean to be boring, but Billy D. Williams and then Ian, Ian McDermott, uh, um, Ian McDermott, correct? Yeah. Yeah. McDermott. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it really was the glue that that held us all together. And that's the other thing, too. You know, it, Hollywood sometimes has a misconception in terms of, oh, let's just bring this franchise back. Everybody's going to love it. And yeah, they still make their billion dollars, but it's really a compliment to actors. I mean, I don't want to see a reboot of Footloose, you know, and forgive me. I'm not crazy about Ghostbusters. And I get it in terms of there have been some to where it's like, oh, OK, that works. But it works because there's substance to the characters mm-hmm. and it works because there's substance. To, and I don't care what gender. I don't care what race. It has to do with the emotions that pull off the screen. But just the concept in and of itself, uh, I don't care how many visual effects you throw, John Carter from Mars, whatever the hell you want to throw at, it's just not going to work if, unless there's that substance there. And that's why those were my favorite characters because when you see Harry, Carrie Fisher and you see the sense of urgency at six years old of Harrison Ford, which is just second to none, or Mark Hamill, or I mean, just the whole entire dynamic. I mean, I thought Irvin Kirshner did such an amazing job in terms of making Star Wars important for the reason it is. It's supposed to be important. Um, that's where the gold is. And I hope that as much as money is the big thing now, and I know Scorsese has had a few words that haven't been kind to Hollywood. 
ultimately, even if you want to go this direction of DC, Marvel, and Star Wars for the next hundred years, go right ahead. Mm -hmm. But really, the weight that holds it, and what really resonates for me, is is the depth of the characters that you care about them. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's. I think the key to any narrative, like you have to yeah. care about the character. Like, if you don't care about the characters, then yeah. you're not going to care about the movie. Yeah, I know you've got exactly. some questions. Well, I wanted to kind of get into the beginning process of you getting involved with The Mandalorian. So how did this happen? Did you audition? Did you know you were auditioning for a Star Wars project? Yeah, it's a beautiful story because I, you know, I try to encourage. And it it also is like, aha, I told you so in the most refreshing way. Um, I had this just, you know, it gets very pretentious in Hollywood. I'm not that. I'm I'm just one of, of, of the people amongst the Midwest. And back east where you're real, you know, we can sit down and have a beer together. And the one thing that has pissed me off for 25 freaking years is just the, oh, you don't want to take that. No, no, no. People are going to pigeonhole you if you do a asylum film or you're going to pigeonhole you if you do this or that. I believe in taking every opportunity. And I think that Philip Seymour Hoffman said that. I believe that Brian Cranston has said that. If you don't want to hear Dominic Pace say that. But taking every opportunity and to never have any shame, no matter what you do in your life. I don't care if you're bagging at Walmart and no disrespect to people bagging at Walmart. I respect you. But it's that you should take a tremendous amount of pride in getting out and getting to work every day and following your dream that you may have higher hopes. But no matter what you're doing to to really believe in yourself and to take pride in the fact that you will take any job. This was a simple makeup test. And there was no promise that there was going to be any future work through this makeup test. But it happened to be with Legacy Effects. Legacy Effects is one of the most popular uh, most famous uh, um, prosthetic and makeup special effects companies in Hollywood uh, over the last 20 plus years. They've worked on every major motion picture when it comes to sci-fi fantasy. I, hap- I was introduced to a gentleman that morning by the name of Brian Seip. This was September of 2018. Uh, we shook hands and he was just a mild-mannered gentleman. Little did I know that he was one of the heads of Legacy Effects. He headed up David Bautista um, the character Drax for Guardians of the Galaxy, as well as his stuff in the Avengers. I think, believe he had to make 90 uh, some some odd uh, prosthetics for Drax uh, in and of itself within each film. They had to melt it off him in a sauna each day. But mm-hmm. that was Brian's responsibility. You can imagine the amount of work that that takes um, uh, for not only his talent, but also just the grueling work day in and day out of putting together that kind of prosthetic. We got to talking. We talked about Star Wars. We, I was in the chair patiently for six hours. I previously had experience photo doubling on Van Helsing uh, for Shirley Hensley uh, opposite Hugh Jackman. So I photo doubled uh, Frankenstein. And I also had a couple of spots on Bright. Uh, I was uh, one of the orcs. And then also Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I had two appearances on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, one as a Cree and then one as a guard. Uh, but it, again, it took a little bit of extensive prosthetics and dealing with paint and being patient, etc. And that was also headed up by legacy effects. Again, there was no word uh, whatsoever of what type of job he was testing for. I just figured, to be honest, it was another spinoff of another Marvel series. And if I get on it, great, but nothing to where it would be beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, Two weeks later, we shook hands. I gave him my uh, uh, business card on that day. And again, it was just a a one-day job. I get called in for a screen test. This is the first time in my entire career that I was called in for a screen test. A screen get test costs a tremendous amount of money for a major league production company. They're not even filming yet. And the fact that they would call in the whole cast, the crew, the whole union level at this level for a screen test, I said, wow, this might be something special. Still thinking Marvel, uh, you know, something where it just would be kind of obscure and just another 
you know, thing to chalk up as like kind of like there I am, whatever. Long story short, I get to Manhattan Beach Studios and it was the most it was the most eerie kind of uh, quiet I ever felt on set where the doors were closed to every um, uh, office uh, uh, um, room. And also at the same time, the set was closed. It was like a, a sense of like just silence that I never felt before. It was like being in a library or when you're taking the SATs and everyone's really quiet around the, the whole uh, uh, cast and crew. So I wasn't, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't aware that it was Star Wars until I was invited in by a gentleman by the name of Richard A. Pora into the costume room. There was a couple of pictures that any Star Wars fan would be able to relate to on the wall. And that's when all of a sudden my heart started beating. And I, I, I go in, he whisked me into the, another room quickly uh, because again, it was, everything was all confidential. So you kind of, it almost like I felt like I was being escorted, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, you weren't look, supposed to look at certain things. Um, and I, there was a hanger and on the hanger, it said Dominic Pace, bounty hunter. And that's when I just, my heart started pounding uh, because again, I mean, you have to understand you're looking at 40 years, like any Gen Xer. Um, and I didn't know at that time how special it was going to be. As a matter of fact, there were two out of the three costume choices they had for me where they were going to have me in this sort of Tatooine-like mask, you know, with almost like a thin visor, similar to like Boba Fett, um, to where it was almost like kind of had like this desert Middle Eastern feel to the character. Um, and Brian came up. That was the first time that I realized, you know, uh, got the connection. And he said, no, no, no. Uh, he says, I want to, I don't put a mask on him. I want to put a prosthetic on him. And Brian uh, came to me and he says, you know, you were, it was almost like a Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory moment. Cause he basically was like, you were the most humble. You were the most uh, relaxed and kind. He said, I want to give you the most extensive makeup and, you know, flash forward. Here we are with a very unique looking bounty hunter. Well, one of a kind, uh, unique species, uh, one of a kind species within the star Wars universe of uh, this uh, nickname gecko. And I can't tell you how grateful I am. And it's like, what do you say? How do you thank somebody for giving you the dream of a lifetime? And that's what Brian did. Oh, that's amazing. I have chills. I'm sorry. I have like tears yeah, in my eyes. That's, that's amazing. So I'm awesome. so happy for so you. Awesome. Oh, thank my you. goodness. Um, you. you know, so grateful. It, it, you know, it didn't end there. You know, again, it, I, I was kind of, you know, my heart was pounding all the way through the first week. Because if you see episode one, you could see my character. But also it was bittersweet because there was no defining uh, shot until they had me at the bar and then that was for the following episode but even that I wanted you know I think any boy or girl who gets involved in Star Wars you want to have a little bit of action you know you want to hold that blaster and you want to be able to use that blaster and I can't tell you how grateful I am for uh, the director the first female director of Star Wars uh, Deborah Chow uh, who again handpicked me for that second week to uh, segue into the third episode and she specifically put me right alongside Carl Weathers, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I do want to talk about that a little bit later, but I kind of want to go back to the character design itself. Now, yes. how did that come to be? And did you have any say in how your character looked? I actually did. Um, it's really amazing story. Um, so Brian Seif did a Greenpeace event in Atlanta two years prior while he was doing Guardians of the Galaxy out there. And he came up, it was a female model. She must have been no uh, larger than 120 pounds, just a small, petite model, to where he wanted to do this uh, reptile, Gecko. And uh, you can see the paint design with the black and the white, uh, if anybody's seen my character in episode three already. Um, but it had bumps on its head. And uh, we did the two-hour process during the screen test. Uh, Filoni, Favreau, Deborah Chow were there. It was, again, two hours in order for me to get into that makeup and also my wardrobe. So they had me behind sort of this moisture farm 
or they had me in front of this moisture farm backdrop and they did this full full on high digital uh, screen test of me along with about five or six other bounty hunters. And uh, they wanted me to do a reveal similar to Return of the Jedi where Luke reveals himself over the, uh, amongst, you know, where he pulls the hood back. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, every, uh, you know, Star Wars fan would love to do that in terms of, you know, if you're a Jedi or if you're a Sith, reveal yourself, you know, with the hood. So I was in character the whole time and I get like, there's a little snicker from like a couple of the other bounty hunters. So I go over to them. I say, oh, it's, it's funny because there were no mirrors around, you know, even though I saw myself and they, they said not for nothing. They said, you know, the, 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 I think it looks really amazing, but they said it's like a mixture between Mega Mind and you look like you have boobs on your head. So, <laughs> so, so I said, Jesus Christ. I said, okay. I said, the last thing I want, what's that, like that high school graduation awkward photo meme where it's like, gets in Star Wars, has boobs on his head? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be infamous from this. So I go and I actually, believe it or not, I mean, you know, all the respect to Brian in the world. I said, Brian, I said, I'm six foot four. I'm like the size of Kane Hodder from Friday the 13th. You know, that's what I, I've been explaining to a lot of the illustrators that if you're going to draw this guy, I mean, I'm that I'm 260 pounds. I'm six four. You know, I'm imposing. I said, you know, if there's any way you can maybe if there, you can make this kind of scale it to where there's horns or daggers or whatever you want to do, you know, where maybe you can indent these boobs. <laughs> so, <laughs> So he was kind of quiet. And then David, I think he was whispering over to David. David didn't say anything. And then even Brian was like, no, I, I think it's okay. I think it's fine. And I was like, okay. I said, whatever you want to do. I said, I, you know, I, I wasn't going to push any buttons. But thank God, come Monday, uh, two beautiful things happened. One, they gave me four horns instead of the boobs. <laughs> and secondly, the first day that I'm on set, after I get into costume, uh, Richard A. Poor was a costume designer. I'm walking to the cantina. And who was there but none other than George Lucas himself? <laughs> It was just, I, I, there were certain parts, I, I got to tell you about three or four moments. I, I'm just a person where it doesn't mean anything to me unless I can share the moment with somebody. You know, I could be in, in Maldives, uh, however you pronounce that. And if I'm by myself, it doesn't mean anything to me unless I can share it. And there are about four moments specifically I'd love to tell you about that I wish every Star Wars fan could have jumped into my skin and have seen and have felt what I felt. One was being with George Lucas, the other one was one point where the camera, uh, my back was towards the camera and I'm interacting. They give us a whole situation with these cantina aliens while the first episode is going on. But that just felt very real to me in terms of really <clears throat> legitimately being within my own element, within being within this fantasy world that we've all loved so much. The other one was I was one of the first at the table, the props table, to select my own, uh, my own blaster. And oh, I, shut I up. And... I wish that I, I would be able to replace myself with every Star Wars fan to where whether it was a lightsaber or a blaster, they'd be able to have that privilege within the universe to be able to play that out. And then the other thing was just, again, the fact that I got to play through the action um, and to be amongst, the, you know, uh, uh, within the universe to where I was in focus. Um, I hope that every Star Wars fan gets that opportunity. And now that there's more content, I hope that more Star Wars fans are able to get on set to where they can have this dream as well. That yeah, that's such an amazing like oh if you could God. script it, like <laughs> that's how you would that's how you would want to do it. Like I got to pick my weapon, I got to do yeah. this, I, I you know, yeah. bumped into George Lucas. Yeah, and it's funny right now, Patrick, too, because people are asking, it's like if I win the lottery, you know, the last thing that I'm gonna have on my mind, you know, I was in Europe last year and it was very inspirational. I recommend every American, I don't care what country you go to. Uh, but maybe to go to the countryside in a European town. 
and just they know they smoke cigarettes till they're 90 years old but they live live that long because they just enjoy the moment and they enjoy life and people are now they're coming to me and don't get me wrong um i'm excited that it did not show that there were anything happened to me and i would love nothing more for the character to continue and to be in the kenobi series etc but there's a certain point of me where it's like literally a certain part of me where it's like a majority where I'm just so content in what has happened. And if somebody else had the opportunity, instead of me continuing on my character, I actually would not mind. I mean, this in and of itself, if I am to just get my own character, as a matter of fact, that Josh Brolin thing actually upsets me with Marvel, where it's like, you play this character and that character. And sometimes you see in Comic-Cons where it's like, I've got like seven characters behind me. I would rather just be known for this one moment, even like a Klaatu or a Reese. And I am just so grateful for that one opportunity where even, and I think maybe that's what's wrong with the world. It's like now, oh, what else can I get? What more can I grab? At 44 years old, the more of the question could be, how can I help other people? I have 100 IMDb credits and don't get me wrong. I mean, who doesn't want to be maybe a bigger name or whatever to where you can have more star power to, to generate you know, a higher salary. But ultimately we're only here for a short amount of time. My wife, God rest her soul to, uh, to her cousin uh, that we lost her to cancer uh, last year. And it's like, you get to a certain point in life where there's, uh, you know, it's like in the movie Rudy, there are other things in life, you know, you, but be proud of what you have accomplished. And, 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 and if anything, pay that forward now at this point, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you know, talking about a, a, a random character that, you know, somehow ends up becoming I- iconic. I mean, look at Jeremy Bullock, who was uh, Boba Fett. Like, yes. that's what he's done. That's what everyone knows him for. Right. So, you know, yeah. he can coast i mean not coast but you know what i mean like he can he can ride that accomplishment at conventions and like that's all he has to sign is boba fett stuff yeah you know and i and yeah i mean i really am so genuinely content to be a -a one-of-a-kind bounty hunter in my beloved you know star wars universe just like you know everybody who loves this this series can understand um but that's the thing right now you know and and i appreciate all the you know i want to see more and i want to see this but ultimately again it's just like getting to experience like the greatest dinner of all time or just the greatest love of all time you know and i've been so fortunate to experience that in my life that that you just uh it's hard to say oh okay what's the next thing you know and and so i just want to say that in terms of if another star wars fan has that opportunity i would rather give it to them if i have that power than to receive any more right now see i all i want right now is to write the canon novel about the the backstory for this character like i I have I have this whole thing, like how he's half Zabrak and half Twi'lek, and yes. his mother was an assassin, and his father was yeah. a bounty hunter, and yeah. you know, I have like where the character grew up and how old he is. He was born in thirty uh, A B Y uh, B B Y. Same, he's the same age as Lando Calrissian, but Zabrak's well, I- lived to be one hundred and eighty. So, in terms of the technicals, too, I think that if he's guarding Carl. Uh, and being on his left, you know, uh, the blind side to, to a certain extent. I mean, I would like to believe that perhaps he's up in the high ranks of the Bounty Hunter Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as that part of the story, absolutely. And again, you know, the one hope, of course, is that, you know, with the Kenobi series being before uh, The Mandalorian, that maybe perhaps he went after Luke. I would love that kind of backstory. Um, whether, again, they play it out uh, is up to uh, Disney and to Deborah. But uh, ultimately, like I said, it, it just I have to be content that that I, I i received the gift and and i'm very grateful for it absolutely ash did you have a i know yeah, you have more questions i i kind of want to talk about that scene that the, the the scene 
with everyone yep. and that standoff and mm-hmm. oh it my does. god that that scene is my favorite scene so far of the entire yep. series uh yeah. How was filming that? Like, how was everything? It, you know, what can you tell us? Yeah, like when they put yeah, you next to really Carl Weathers, story. like. <laughs> I got an amazing story for your listeners. Um, there was no indication that that was Baby Yoda, or not, whatever, the baby. <laughs> um, I was thinking, I knew that it was a baby, but I was like, oh, wow, this is going to actually hype up the, 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 the latest trilogy for me. Because I was under the impression that maybe... They didn't do much of a backstory with Finn or Poe or Ray. And how cool would this be in that this was kind of the Rogue One to the new trilogy mm. in that maybe this is going to be where Ray was coming from, you know? So the whole time on set, that's what I was thinking about. Um, in terms of performance, people were asking me as far as, you know, the intensity and everything else. Uh, I cannot tell you how inspirational it is to hear Carl Weathers' voice through your right ear um, and to be in this situation where you're in a standoff in the Star Wars world it took an entire day. Um, there was a, a lot of uh, stuntmen on set. I did actually a couple of little action uh, pieces myself. I'm glad they got cut out because uh, now the character <laughs> does uh, continue on. Um, and it, it was amazing to see Tate Fletcher, who is now going to be a beloved action figure um, in his glory with that big gunner that I think is going to sell a million times over. Um, and then also, like I said, to be alongside Carl, to be alongside Pedro stunt guy, um, and to see that R5-D4 up close. And then, again, to watch Deborah work. I mean, she, along with David and John, I can't tell you, you know, you hear some of the old stories about Michael Bay and James Cameron on set to where there's yelling and shouting. And everyone, there's just so much uh, tense, you know, so much of a tense energy. But everyone was so professional from the, the, the grips to the crew and the, the lighting and, and uh, the, 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 you know, the, the featured uh, creatures and the lead characters. It was just like a fine oiled machine, like a military machine where just everyone was on the same page. John and David had this simple smile about them, along with Deborah, where everything was just at this perfect pace in terms of getting everything done. And we were looking at 15, 16 hour days. It was the 16th, first time in my career I went into golden time. Golden time, for those who don't know, we actually get paid an entire day's pay once you get into that 16th hour. So that check was absolutely amazing. Um, but even through 16 hours, the two hours of makeup to put on, the one hour off, uh, I'm sure every Star Wars fan would understand that it, it, I didn't feel a, one bit of pain, one bit of fatigue, even carrying this eight pound blaster, um, because it was just the adrenaline rush of being there and knowing that you're a part of something so special. So my question is, because this is something that I would I would love to find out one day myself, what is it like being a canonical part of the Star Wars mythos? Mm. Well, I, I'm well, I'm, again, I'm sort of still sleeping with one eye open in terms of making sure that the character keeps a, a gaining altitude. Um, I'm really excited as far as already the, the fan base that I've, I've gathered um, and the 501st and the Mandalorian Mercs that have been so supportive throughout the whole world. Uh, I've been giving shout outs to all of them from Spain to Chile to Mexico. Um, but really, right now, my excitement and anticipation is really building this character um, to dare I say, be hopefully maybe at, at some point a modern day Dengar, um, you know, or again, maybe that rare figure uh, like a Yak Face or a Reese, um or I'm sorry, a Blue Snaggletooth of the new series. Um, but I'm just kind of each day, this is kind of still a shock to me. I've been a character actor for 20 years and I've never kind of received this kind of recognition. So each and every day, and especially it's been kind of surreal. Um, so I'm just kind of waiting for everything to kind of level out and 
gracefully, it's still rising, which has been amazing. And I'm hoping that parlays into a tremendous amount of comic conventions and, and being able to touch the lives of people in, in a very positive way throughout the world. Well, I mean, I've been doing my part because we have we have some, you know, uh, you know, second hand and third hand connections to uh, conventions. And, you know, I've been reaching out trying to do my part because, A, you know, it's it's kind of a selfish thing. Like, you know, I want to actually meet you face to face. Like we almost had that <laughs> opportunity. Uh, yeah. But I mean, unfortunately for us, but fortunately for you, you know, it's like you got a chance to, you know, do some more acting and like, you know, hone your craft even more. So yeah. like I, it's so, so frustrating throughout my career. I mean, I've had two exact, I was one time I ended up getting into season four of prison break, but um, I've had so many situations where the second I fly out of town, then all the phone starts ringing and it's the most frustrating thing because you can never genuinely relax. And I know a lot of people in the workforce uh, have these problems when you're on vacation, but it's the most annoying thing when you're all settled in, you've got your flight and everything else. But unfortunately when you do independent contracting, the world doesn't wait for you. It's not like, oh, yeah, we'll wait till next week and see what's up, you know? Uh, so it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, but, you know, I I have no issues, you know, with the fact that, like, it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it out there because I'm I'm working again. It's like, awesome. Right. Like, keep building yeah. that resume. Keep getting yourself out there, like, because yeah. you never know what it's going to turn into, like you were saying earlier. You yeah. know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you've done, like, you had that, that uh, there was a small part on, um, was it N- uh, was it NCIS the uh, the bird watching scene? Yes, NCIS. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I was watching that. I was like, oh, this. Is, I'm like, oh, what's what's going on? And then I was like, oh man, that's that's great. That was some good Gold. stuff. You know, Gold. showing your your comedic chops as well. Like, so that that was good. No, absolutely. It's uh, you know, I can't complain. I consider myself uh, one of the you know in the top percentile of of working actors, and you know that's that's come with a lot of hard work and and uh, dedication and determination. Um, but again, with this opportunity, I'm looking to capitalize in, in many ways, but uh, at the same time, being able to touch people's lives in a, a positive way. And I, I really have always loved to travel and love to meet friends like, you know, like you and, and, and people all over the world. So really uh, looking forward to owning and branding this character in so many ways for so many uh, great reasons there. Oh, absolutely. So mm-hmm. I have a, I have a few more questions, obviously, Ashes. I know you have a couple more as well. So sure, yeah. I want to uh, I want to ask you, what is your your favorite ship and if gecko has his own ship which i imagine he would because he is one of those high-end bounty hunters like you said he's protecting carl's blind side um what kind of ship do you think he would fly you know i think it would be a little bit bulky um i would like it to be sleek yet bulky at the same time i think the way that he's structured is sort of rugged and weathered in certain ways so i don't see it being anything like um Nebu-ish, you know, like the queen, mm-hmm. it would be more kind of rustic. And I mean, not so much uh, aesthetic. Uh, I think there might be maybe some elements of slave one to a certain extent in that it's kind of awkward. Um, but at the same time, maybe a little bit of sleekness and uh, uh, more of a darkness to it uh, in, in many ways. For me, uh, growing up as a kid, I mean, just hours and hours of entertainment with uh, the Falcon, uh, which has just been, uh, you know, that I love in and of itself. But as far as for Gecko, um, again, I, I would kind of see a little bit more bulky and broady in, in certain ways, um, um, just to where it's not completely well kept or sleek in any way. As far as like you know, the X-wing or or ships like that that kind of are, are effortless, you know, in terms of their design. Like something definitely that's got some some wear and tears, some miles. Correct. You know, um, 
Yeah, I, I could definitely think like a, a slave one. Even like like you said, the the Falcon is a it's a Carillion freighter. It's not you know a a, a yeah. pleasure barge. It's a right. You know right, and you know, it wouldn't be something out of again um, uh, uh, where you know some of the high money is from around the galaxy. I think it might be a little bit mid level mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, in far as like I talked about um, uh, with a couple of podcasts, I, I would see him with a tremendous amount of power. Uh, less agility and then also having that blaster and also those forearm um, shields, which I forgot were so thick, um, having some special uh, toys to them as well, similar to the way that Mandalorian used his forearm uh, uh, shields uh, uh, to, uh, you know, his gauntlets there uh, during episode three, which I thought was so amazing with that heat seeker. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's some, uh, there's definitely a lot of stuff you can do with wrist gauntlets. If Batman has taught us anything, there's yes. a lot of stuff you can do with wrist gauntlets. Yeah, um, and mine were very, very thick. I'd never seen any uh, um, gauntlets like that. So I think there would definitely be some special stuff uh, attached to those. Um, and then give the blaster a little bit more power. Um, but again, a little bit awkward in certain ways as far as, you know, would definitely be outrun uh, by Mando in about two seconds. But maybe the power of that blaster uh, would have a little bit more pop than uh, the normal blaster with that paintball canister attached to the back there. Yeah, um, you know, because there have been some some you know fairly iconic weapons, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Hans Blaster, the um, bowcaster, yeah, from the, uh, um, you yeah, know, uh, Chewie's bowcaster. Yeah, um, I would also say that Boba Fett's shotgun-looking gun that he had—that's right. fairly iconic. Uh, right. I do really, really like the design of Gecko's gun. Like, it's really cool. I I really want a replica of this. <laughs> I'm I'm waiting to hear back from those. Uh, those guys that were doing the 3D printing? Cause... Yes. Uh, yeah, we just talked today, and we just finalized because I was confused. I told them to hold off. I wanted to make sure they saw the front barrel, which they did now with the scope, because, again, I only could go off memory. They took our phones all day. I mean, and for right. And for, and Obviously, for right, yeah. Yeah, they didn't want to give any um, of the uh, the spoilers away. And, and I, you know, you look horrible if you're, you know, behind on the sound stage without all the special effects. But I was upset that I, I was not able to take a photo of the exact uh, replica. But now, because I knew about the curved dagger and then I just needed to see the front barrel, uh, now they're going to create it within the next week or two. A nice guy down in Texas, this 3D printing uh, company. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely uh, forward you their link and anyone else who is interested there. Yeah, my, my favorite touch on that, because I am such a huge Star Wars nerd, my favorite touch was the two Orabesh letters on the side that uh, are your initials. Yeah. Which I, love- I- that was just like the coolest fucking thing to me because I'm looking at it. I'm like, I bet you that's his initials, but I'm just going to double check and see what that is. And it's like, yeah. Yep. Legacy effects also designed those um, weapons as well. And I, I was so happy that I got to choose uh, from an array before any, uh, everybody took away, you know, everybody took them away, but I definitely didn't want some small little sidearm. Uh, I wanted something heavy, some heavy uh, machinery for being such a big burly guy, you know? And Hey, Look, the other thing is, too, which I hope will be exciting for um, the action figure, uh, you know, uh, companies, uh, is that this is a, you know, this is the first time we saw a Death Trooper who was tall in Rogue One. But this mm-hmm. is the first time you see a bounty hunter that's tall and imposing, you know, and I think that's kind of cool and, and a little bit creepy in certain ways as well, you know. Yeah, and especially like the way he looks, you know, he's got yeah. this big intimidating look, you know, with the, you know, it, I'm glad that there's horns and not boobs because that would look weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, like even the. Um, I mean, you know. yeah, back in the eighties, I mean, you know, they used to have those basic uh, uh, character names, and God forbid it be Boob Man, you know. 
<laughs> well, I mean, we sound like a Brazzers freaking uh, porn parody. <laughs> <laughs> Like, hey, I made it. Are they going to make a figure? No, but they got a porno for you, Dom. Nice. That would be be interesting. Uh, Gecko the boob man. But no, thank God. uh, Yeah, because like I said, you know, the horns and the height and the bandolier and the forearm guards. And, you know, I I think it's pretty darn badass, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very badass, very imposing. Because, I mean, like, sometimes they – I think they've missed the mark on certain – like, I get what they were trying to do with Django Fett. But with like his little silver guns, I, I yeah. didn't like it. They were they were very reminiscent of like you know Western six shooters. So I I get that's what they were doing. But like yeah. that gun just did not suit him. Right, you had something a little bit more powerful. Uh, yeah. yeah, or like at say, least intimidating I looking. Yeah, I will say though the Camino was my favorite part of episode two. You know, in general, but but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ashes, I know you have a. Uh... I do. So, you know, we're in the process of watching The Mandalorian week by week now. And, you know, episode three just dropped. I want to know, are you watching it as well? And what is your opinion of it as a fan? It's a weird, it's a very weird dynamic to go off of my uh, um, mood for the past couple of weeks. I literally could not, I had to do a few podcasts and I was shaking because i know in the first i was seen vaguely and in the trailer um but it was very difficult until episode three dropped until i was given the blessing from the 501st who happened to see the third episode that now i can genuinely enjoy it um we're at a you know it's a very gray area in terms of the character becoming iconic so it's been a little bit of a difficult dynamic for me in terms of truly enjoying the series because there is so much at stake for my family and i i have two sons and there is nothing more that would make me happier no matter how long I live to be able to get them through college. And as much as I'm confident, I'll be a working actor uh, long into my sixties. This can really be monumental for my family and I, in terms of the financial opportunity. So I am enjoying it. um, But at the same time, uh, a little bit shaken uh, due to the fact that I think every, every fan would agree um, in terms of wanting to see, you know, where the character is going to go. I've also been in touch with my makeup uh, with my makeup artist there, Brian, to where there's you know a chance uh, we might be brought back, and that to me is kind of like had me you know has me kind of like a little bit on edge as well. Um, I have four agents uh, from different companies who are shopping me around right now, and uh, again switching over to an entire different career as far as with the comic circuit, Comic Con, and also branding this character. It's hard for me really to just sit back and relax and enjoy as a fan. I think in a couple months, I'll be able to just go back and watch each episode from the fans' point of view. Uh, But right now, it's just so much at stake uh, for the opportunity for me as an actor and also as a brand uh, that it's really difficult to genuinely uh, uh, invest myself where I can crack open a a nice cold one and and get some of those great nachos with my kids and just relax. (laughs) That makes sense. I will say, though, because of, like, the relationship that you and I have had, like, you know, we become friends and, you know, yeah. we, we, we chat regularly, um, yes. you know, especially since, you know, the whole Megalodon uh, episode, which, by the way, I'm not sure if I, if I had mentioned it to you, but we won an award for yeah. that episode. Like, yeah. we beat out 150 other shows for best interview. No, and... congratulations. Yeah, I was really proud. I just, I never did an Asylum film before. And they, I just was so heartbroken because for me, in terms of, you know, everything that I gave, I never watched too many Asylum films. I just was giving 110%, but I just had no idea that they were kind of had like a, 
a little bit of a, of a stigma there. So I was kind of thrown back with all the, you know, and I didn't see the final cut. I didn't know how they were going to cut it in terms of the budget, but I was just happy that I did what I did. I, you know, from start to finish, I gave everything I had. So I, I'm proud of it in that regard. I just hate that it's kind of fall, you know, it falls in this genre of being very be like, you know, in other words. Well, a friend of mine, uh, who does a podcast called talk without rhythm. He's the best film critic that I know. Yeah. And uh, I'm a patron of his. So I get to pick one of his movies to review. And I picked that for him uh, earlier this year. And yeah. I remember him specifically saying that, you know, he was impressed with your performance and he was going to be looking forward to how your career progressed going forward because, oh, you that, know, yeah, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Yeah. He, I mean, I didn't, you know, I don't, I wasn't going to play it tongue in cheek. And I think maybe, Perhaps that's what, you know, that may, you know, those kind of films call for. But thank you. I appreciate that because that's that's the direction I was heading, even though, again, I was swimming in that that suit. I look like James Gandolfini and, you know, because they just like, hey, wear this triple XL. And I'm like, OK, no fitting. All right, fine. Um, but I mean, ultimately, I, I wanted to uh, uh, take it serious, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that it, that had a little bit of reception there. Thank you so much. Yeah. So. And- Talking about Megalodon for two seconds, uh, people view that film differently than they view other Asylum films. And it's because of you and your role and what you brought to the table in that film. You know, people... People when they, you know when they think of an asylum film, they think of something that's silly and over the top. And and yeah. this one, you know, my my friends who aren't so much into those films, I said I say no, you really need to give this the time of day. And they yeah. do, and they're really impressed. They're like, you know, I was not expecting this this quality, yeah. this this storytelling from an Thank asylum you. film. So and and that's because of you. Thank uh, you, I appreciate it. I, I wanted to keep the urgency. From start to finish up. And, and again, no matter what the budget is, even if there's a pet shark uh, and a rubber stick uh, going across the screen, um, uh, you know, for me, it's like I want to just make sure that those circumstances are real. And that's what I tried to do, you know, whether and again, I mean, sometimes you only have one take. So it's difficult in terms of making sure that, you know, you have every scene is, is spot on. Um, but, yeah, I really tried to take as much pride no matter what job at what level I do. Um, to just do the best I can. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for that. And I think that's, you know, really helped, uh, you know, pay things off. And I think, you know, um, that's why people really appreciate what you've done. And it's kind of opened some doors for you. They're like, you know, look at this guy. He's taking this seriously, even though he knows it's, you know, this low budget film or whatever, but he's still doing his job the way he should. Like, you know, there yeah. are so many times when, you know, you see these big budget movies and people just kind of like phone it in. But like you're giving the performance that, you know, it's like, all right, I'm being paid. They want me to take this main role. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, as you know, because of our the, the relationship that you and I have, you know, yeah. watching, you know, the Mandalorian episode by episode, you know, like that first episode, I was really looking forward, you know, really looking for your character. And I look for him every single time, you know, so yeah. I think it's almost like. The way a lot of people have reacted to the child, I react every time I see Gecko. <laughs> Thank you. It's just like, oh, that's it. awesome. There he is. Look, and I'm like taking pictures of my computer screen. I'm like, there he is. That's him. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I just actually got a few extra screenshots today that I didn't realize that I was a part of. So that was really uh, that was really awesome there. I didn't you know there was some within the battle that, you know, freeze framing or when they're coming down. Um, obviously, they, they created it within the card. But then there's another shot to where I'm coming from the right side of the screen. So it's nice to see me scattered mm-hmm. throughout. But um, ideally, uh, there's this one shot where, again, was a standoff and where you split the screen in half where it looks like it's just Mando against me. And I have an artist right now in England uh, working on that for me 
and I'm hoping that will at least be a, a special tops card or uh, be something, uh, you know, uh, immortalized within uh, the major leagues there in one way or another. Well, it's it's funny. Um, you know, we have a friend who is this guy has probably forgotten more about Star Wars than most people will ever know. Like I put him like it's probably like Lucas Filoni and then him. Uh, yeah. So like that's how big of a fan. So when you yeah. sent me some of the uh, the autographs, I was yeah. like, all right, I have to share that. Like this guy has to get one. And he was so overwhelmed. And he's like, oh, this is so great. He goes, I'm going to put this up. He goes, I have a picture of all, you know, all all the actors that have played Boba Fett. And it's autographed by every single one of them. He goes, that's where this is going. Wow. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, just to be amongst the the original six there uh, would be such an honor there. I guess the one thing I'm worried about is maybe being washed over over the next five episodes. God knows what other eye candy they're going to have. And again, not to be selfish, I hope every episode... Uh, outlives the next one but at the same time uh, just to be immortalized as uh, a one-tenth of one of the top bounty hunters within the uh, community uh, would just be uh, more than words beyond words there but I mean that scene is iconic that scene yeah. is crazy and the fact that you get to be a part of that is just yeah. it makes it it's it's special it's something special and you should definitely be proud of that Mike. exactly yeah and that's the thing Ash is like I said if, if I don't get you know if I don't go back I'm hoping that uh, the character will continue on through fan fiction and through hopefully a figure or two or, or illustrations. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it really was so special. Um, I also don't want to get so embedded within the Comic-Con uh, that I don't continue on with my career. Um, but at the same time, I mean, obviously, it's just been so amazing to have been a special part of it in, in, in such an iconic scene there. So if you had the opportunity to write, you know, your character's direction, because we, again, it's very ambiguous. Nobody knows what happened. And like you said, yeah. you know, there might be some future stuff. You never know. Yeah. So you're Gecko, you're leading a team, and you can pick anyone throughout all of Star Wars between canon and the expanded universe, legends, all that. So you're leading a team, and you need four other characters to go with you on, like, this super dangerous mission. Who are you taking with you? Well, you know, it would be amazing. I mean, if I had, you know, if I had the choice would be to go back to the Kenobi series back in time to where maybe there were some iconic uh, bounty hunters, Dengar, Forlom, Zookus, uh, maybe IG-88. And, uh, you know, Bosk. I lead the pack to try and find Luke and we get our asses beat by um, Kenobi, obviously not killed, but enough to where Kenobi just freaking throws us for a loop. And, uh, you know, it'd be kind of that pursuit of getting, you know, maybe the Empire knowing about Luke, uh, potentially, but for whatever reason, needed to keep it confidential. Because uh, maybe for some reason, Vader might be uh, secretly maybe keeping it away from the Emperor, in that he still has a little bit of heart of gold um, to where, you know, he has a compassion for his son, um, but maybe at the same time wants him captured for his own reasons. Yeah. So that would, that would be something, that would be, the, for me, the most ideal, amazing storyline and respect to you and McGregor, he can beat me up anytime, you know, uh, <laughs> to where, you know, he, he's the hero for the day. What a beautiful, I mean, and I don't mean physically, I mean, just, but his talent is so amazing um, to where, you know, I would love to see him really dominate this series. I'm so excited for that series as well. Um, but of course, to be a part of that, to where obviously bounty hunters did know throughout the childhood of Luke that he was there um, I, or that they had maybe a, um, a intuition that, you know, they might have been on Tatooine or they got a little too close at one point or another, uh, that would be really special for me, uh, for the character. I think that would be, uh, that would be pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. I think it would sort of immortalize ourselves within, you know, the ultimate, the, you know, the high levels of bounty hunters uh, amongst the lore and the canon and everything else to have been a part 
of trying to um, uh, to obtain uh, Luke during that time. I mean, you could even be like, you know, a, a competing faction, you know, take the some of the bounty hunters from the Mandalorian and like they're going up against that crew. Like that would be like you have this epic showdown between like yeah. the original bounty hunters and like kind of like this new this new class. Like that would yeah. be really cool, too. Sure. Yeah. But I think the, the code of the guild is that they work together in one way or another, you know. Uh, yeah, I guess either way they would play. But uh, I kind of like the fact where IG-11 and also Mandalorian within episode one kind of had that respect for each other in one way or not, you know, to a certain yeah. extent until obviously he didn't want Baby Yoda to be killed there. <laughs> it's just so adorable, that thing. <laughs> I, oh, I'm obsessed. She loves it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I came up with a name for him. I've been calling him Yiddle because he's, you know, yeah. little Yoda. So Yiddle works for me. Yeah. And then Yaddle was the woman, wasn't it? Yes. yes. On the yeah. uh, the council in the, the prequel trilogy, which you really don't see. It's like one of those blink and you'll miss it, like yes. cameos. But, I mean, yes. she's a big part of canon, and she's just like kind of like a background. Ayla, Ayla Sakura and, and uh, Ki Adi Mundi and uh, yeah. Shakti Luminara, like all those Jedi yeah. are like, you know, flash in the pan characters. Have you, been, have you been seeing that Maury Povich meme where it's like, yeah, it's not my baby? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. You fl- like, yeah, fled to yeah, Dagobah to gonna, get out of child gonna, support? Yes, I'm not paying the child support. <laughs> now, there's a, there's a, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of these fan theories that are going around because, you know, obviously you have, uh, you know, a little more of a connection than some of us, but there's a, a, a fan theory that's been going around. I kind of think it might be, um, it's pretty interesting. So, as much as I was not a huge fan of what Ryan Johnson did with the franchise, there was a specific line that. Thanks for. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's almost like it's like the code. Like, did you hate it? Yes, me too. Oh my god, I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's yep. a. Uh... Oh my god, let's go grab some beers. Okay, no, no, it was great. It was great. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There was some good stuff to it, but overall, I did not like the direction that he took it, uh, especially after what JJ did, because I'm a huge JJ fan. But there yeah. is a line where Snoke says, "Darkness, you know, approaches and light rises to meet. Uh, darkness falls and light rises to meet it." Yeah. And that got me thinking of the theory of the uh, the chosen one, like the, the bringing balance to the force, because this baby Yoda child is 50 years old. And right around the time that this is taking place, you know who else would have been 50 years old? Anakin Skywalker. So if Anakin Skywalker is conceived by Darth Plagueis out of the midichlorians to become, you know, the dark lord of the Sith, wouldn't? The Force, because the Force decides who wins a battle. The Force decides how certain things happen. It's not based on your skill, because if it was based on skill, there's no chance that Obi-Wan beats Anakin one-on-one in a duel. Like, it just wouldn't happen. But that was the will of the Force. So would the will of the Force also create this light side, uh, you know, pure being? Because every single version of... Uh, Yoda species that we have seen, whether it's video games or the the expanded universe novels or in, you know, the movies, is always a phenomenally powerful light side user. Yeah, I I think um, also the other theory that I was interested in was, isn't it true that 50 years ago? Oh, wait. Uh, oh, no, no. This only takes place, what, six years after Jedi? It's about five years. Yeah, five years. Oh, after five Jedi. years. OK, OK, I'm sorry. 
Well, yeah, forgive me. Just take away that theory. I thought it was that, you know, once Yoda died, this was a continuation, but I guess it was here beforehand. So, yeah, uh, I'm curious. I'll see what ends up happening. I'll yes. see what ends up happening. I mean, it's, it, it's just fun. I just think that it's great that Favreau is just going back to the simplicity. I, I got to tell you, I mean, let's take a step back here and this is on me. Okay. This isn't, you know, please you don't, you don't have to agree with me and everything else, but the thing that's been frustrating me over the last few years is that I grew up in New York. I was raised by my mom. She was a single mother. I was raised, you know, with my sister. And we were in a very extremely diverse community. We were not taught any of this segregation, any of these isms in terms of we were just all one. And the one thing that's just been bothering me with the whole Star Wars community and just as a human being within society now as a male is just the fact. And again, I, I didn't even want to say that word male is that we all started, we, I grew up with just the ideal, ideology of humanism, where we're all one. And the one thing that bothers me now is like, you can like or you can dislike a movie, but what I hate is that now we have all of this virtue signaling of different kinds in terms of race, in terms of gender. And it bothers, it bothers me because again, the, the way that I was raised was just that we were all just kind of come together as one. And what I enjoy at least with Favreau and Filoni is that 99.9% of, of the community is now coming together as one to where we can just all enjoy this. And that's what bothered me with eight. And again, there's no question in terms of all of the you know the social issues that need to be brought up in certain parts of the country and certain parts of the world to where we need to all be there. But it just for me as a New Yorker has been so frustrating because we never thought any different since we were kids. As an Italian American, we, we were immigrants, you know, but also at the same time, uh, with 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 women, uh, it was never any type of question in terms of any level of disrespect in the workplace, in society of any kind. And it's just been so annoying uh, to me in the sense that it, we, we I've just have always been one in so many ways with race and with gender that that now all of a sudden, if something's wrong with a movie or something's wrong with a series in any way or even society, that's automatically brought up. And it's just been frustrating because and, and the good news is i just like i said i think that favreau and filoni have been able to sort of soften that blow to where hopefully we can all come together and just appreciate the, the beauty of just escapism you know yeah i i know what you're saying and it it makes sense you know like uh, so many people like the the girl who played road kelly tran like got yeah. bullied off of social media because people are like, oh we don't like your your character it's like it's a character it's not real that's not who right. she is Right, right. And but yeah, and it's frustrating, like I said, for, you know, unfortunately, that race and gender get brought up into things that might, you know, look, I mean, people are going to crap on Megalodon, you know, and I, I, I and, and, you know, you just take it and you understand why it's okay. But it's just so upsetting in, in that fact that race and gender have been kind of brought into this mix. Um, where again, we should just be judged in and of itself for the for the for the series itself. I'm not saying it didn't need to happen. I'm just saying from somebody from New York, it, it's just been frustrating for me as a viewer and just as a member of society to where, again, I, I was taught nothing less than just respect for all races and genders, you know? Yeah, no. And yeah. that's how it should be. Like it, it, there shouldn't be a question about that. Yeah. So we do have a, a, a little bit more uh, that we want to talk about, but it's basically like, we want to know why well, I know you've got another movie coming out soon. Uh, I think oh, yeah. is it February. I think it is. Um, well, they have it. They're still locking in distribution. 
As a matter of fact, I might be getting a scene of it tonight that I'm going to post. Nice. Um, but Ooh. very, very excited about that. That that one's really going to be very special. Yeah, if you want to promote that, uh, I, you know, obviously we've been doing a lot of Star Wars talk, but I want to promote some of your other projects. You know, uh, where folks can get some of the merchandise that you have. You know, as yeah. far you know, you were mentioning coins. Like, not everybody might know what you're referring to. Um, yeah. So yeah, tell us about some of your upcoming project projects sure. and some of the merch associated with uh, the Mandalorian. Uh, about five years ago, I started a short film called Anonymous Killers. I was uh, one of the stars of this short film that ended up getting financing. They just finished it after uh, five years. Uh, it, it needed $500,000 financing, and the director was able to secure those funds by himself. Um, it tells a story of five killers, and it goes way beyond just uh, some kind of slasher film. It deals more with the uh, issues of society of those perhaps who come from privilege and those who don't. It looks in the eyes of a killer where perhaps maybe a woman was raped and tried to get revenge. Uh, a Mexican immigrant uh, had her mother abused and got revenge. Uh, people from the wrong sides of the tracks didn't have the opportunities that other people did. The other thing that it brings to light is that whether the white 1% uh, care or not in regards to whether you had hardships or not in life. It's going to bring up a lot of issues in terms of society. It's not just going to be some slasher film. I am uh, so privileged to be a part of this uh, film because I think a lot of current issues in society, uh, I think, you know, it's great that we continue to keep talking and hashing things out. So, again, that we do all become as one uh, within a community and within society. Um, this one is going to release most likely early next year. It's called Anonymous Killers. Um, I will be featured in an upcoming uh, bestseller called A Million Little Pieces. I um, uh, play uh, Billy Bob Thornton's driver in a great uh, film uh, with uh, Scout Taylor Johnson. Um, and that's going to also be with the star of uh, Charlie Hunnam, uh, the star of Sons of Anarchy as well, along with Juliette Lewis and Giovanni Ribisi. Uh, I co-star opposite a, film, uh, a sociological thriller uh, opposite Tyler Maine from a Halloween and X-Men called Psychosis. I will also be in a really cool social media uh, feature film uh, thriller called Follow Me. I play a henchman in that. Uh, you'll catch me also uh, with uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, Harlequin, I have a one scene in that, uh, which I'm really excited about. And I'll be on a new upcoming game show called uh, To Tell the Truth. I think that's actually the second season starring Anthony Anderson. And I'll be alongside Bob Saget and uh, Brad Garrett. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, the merch uh, from <laughs> Star Wars, Thank you so much. Uh, it's the eBay name is Pacedom, P-A-C-E-D-O-M. And I have everything from patches to UV ray protected uh, stickers, uh, signed autographs, uh, all moderately priced uh, for the working man and, uh, and woman and also uh, coins. I have a very special coin coming in from China uh, within a couple of weeks that I think a lot of the fans will really enjoy. Um, I'm looking to change the coin, one side of the coin uh, to say Bounty Hunter Guild. I'd like to use it for merchandise and also at the same time uh, give that away at the Children's Hospital to make the kids feel special in terms of being uh, accepted into the Bounty Hunter Guild, to have one of the bounty hunters from the Mandalorian Bounty Hunter Guild accept them and hopefully brighten their day uh, through those tough times there. So really looking forward to that and, and uh, a lot of good things to come with the Comic-Cons. I'll be over in Stockton, California. Uh, that will be in January. I'll be in December in San Antonio and then in Pensacola, Florida uh, come February there. So a lot of good things coming up. 
Awesome. Uh, Ashley, do you have anything else? No, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time and coming on our little show and hanging out with us. You are such a delight. It's always a pleasure talking with you, and I wish you nothing but the best in the future. You're a great friend, and, you know, I just, just such a special person, so thank you. Thank you, Ashes. Thank you so much. And again, uh, you know, continue to, uh, you know, uh, build the, build the bridge uh, between just all of everyone in society just being one. So I really honored to, uh, those words come from you. And, and thank you so much. Yeah, Don, thank you so much for, for joining us. This was uh, awesome. Um, yeah, do make sure you stick around a little bit, you know, after I close this out, because. I, I want to chat with you a little more uh, before we yeah. let you go completely. Let's get Gecko trending. Yes. Yeah. Hashtag Gecko. You know, we yeah. want figures. We want everything. Um, it's definitely one of the coolest bounty hunter concepts ever. Like your care. I'm not just saying that because you're in front of me right now, but uh, your your character is just one of the things I love about Star Wars is the creature design and the characters. And yeah. your creature design is just it's it's top. It is yep. unbelievable. So we yep. definitely need to get that in physical form. Uh, right. Whatever can happen needs to happen. Let's get hashtag gecko trending. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it. This is great. And once Anonymous Killers comes out, we have to have you on again. And I really I look forward to interviewing you at a, at a convention someday in person. Thank you, Patrick. And I'll make sure to see if I can get the lead cast Anonymous Killers. That's going to be a very special one. Yeah, that, that's one of my uh, highly anticipated films of next year. Yep. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I appreciate that. Thank you, Ashes. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Dom. We're going to be uh, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Well, hello there, neighborinos. The handle's Mr. Most Days Off, but my friends call me Miles and I'm the host of the Best Darn Diddly Review Show. Hello, Mr. Most Days Off. <laughs> And that's my best friend, Richie the WizKid, the co-host of Best Darn Diddly. Hi, diddly ho there, podcast arenas. The Best Darn Diddly Review Show is a weekly journey through the entire Simpsons series, hosted by us, two guys who grew up loving The Simpsons. We discuss every diddly, every doodly, and every do. So lace up your assassin sneakers, put on your skin-tight ski suit, and head down the slopes with us at Best Darn Diddly. Stupid, sexy Best Darn Diddly. You can catch us... Each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian, and you are listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. We are back. Uh, that was just an amazing interview. That was so much fun. Dominic Pace is such a cool guy. Really, and he's super nice. Like all he kept talking about was giving back to the community and you know the people that have helped elevate him to the status that he's you know trying to achieve by really promoting Gecko and promoting you know the Mandalorian. Not only that, he's a fan. Like, he's a fan who has the opportunity to play a character in the Star Wars universe, you know, something that he's a fan of. And that's just, that's so cool. It really is. Like, and that's, those are the people that need to, like, John Favreau is a huge fan of Star Wars, you know, so you know that this series is in a, is in good hands. And, you know, 
he's particularly fond of the uh, the holiday special, which is why you see so many nods to the holiday special. You know, the first ep- yeah, the first episode talking about Life Day, the weapon that Mando uses. Like, there's a lot to that. We've got a few things to do before we wrap up. The first is we have to introduce our brand new battle. But first, we have to play the battle theme. Ashes, what do we have for a battle this week? We have the battle for the bounty. We want to know which bounty hunter has what it takes to collect the ultimate bounty and survive. You get to choose from Gecko from The Mandalorian, Jango Fett, Bosk, or Boba Fett. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Bosk is the Trandoshan, the lizard-looking guy from uh, Episode 5, Return to the, I mean, sorry, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, he's in the lineup with all the bounty hunters. So he's the lizard-looking guy that kind of hisses at the Imperial who says, Bounty hunters, we don't need their kind of scum. And he just kind of like, because he's a lizard. Yeah, and if you don't know who Boba Fett is, he's the guy with the backpack that has the jets. He's Boba he the does Fett. stuff. He bounty hunts for Jabba Hutt. To finance his vet. Wicka, wicka, wicka. So that's our battle this week. Uh, that'll be up. You can vote, obviously, on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, I think that's it. That's about it. But we do have uh, science and wine facts to give you this science week. Science and wine! So this week, um, this actually uh, comes from a, a Unilad article that uh, one of our friends posted on social media today about an 18,000-year-old puppy found frozen in ice in Sweden. Uh, uh, actually, I'm sorry, the researchers are in Sweden, but they found this uh, ancient canine in the Siberian permafrost in the uh, summer of last year. And they've dated it to be 18,000 years old. And what's really remarkable about this is they're not sure if it is a dog or a wolf because it's... Uh, Got the characteristics of both, and this is right around the time that it's believed that dogs, uh, wolves were domesticated and different dog breeds started to emerge as they were companions to humans. And I believe, if I'm correct, that all of the researchers agreed that this dog is a good boy. Yes, it's 100%. His name, and I, I really like this, this is part of the reason why I chose this If you article. say Mittens, I'm going to throw no, something at you. No, his name is not Mittens. Uh, they actually named him... Dogor, because they're not sure if he is a dog or wolf. Uh, D-O-G-O-R. Uh, What does it say right there in the article? It says, the researcher's Russian colleagues have called the male creature Dogor, a pun on dog or wolf. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So I wasn't making that up. Sometimes scientists aren't the most uh, creative when it comes to naming things. They tickled my funny bone with science. I think that's how the song goes. Yeah. But uh, let's throw it back over to you because you have some uh, wine formation for us. I want to talk about wine. I always want to talk about wine. Um, so this time of year, I find myself buying wine a lot more, not only for gifts for other people, but for myself to consume. Now, the 
most economical way to purchase wine is actually to buy boxed wine. So if you are hosting a lot of events at your your dwelling place or attending a lot of events and want to bring something to drink that's, you know, not a bunch of beer or whatnot, I highly recommend boxed wine. Not only can you stick a straw in it, call it a juice box, haha, um, but it uh, there's a lot of benefits to purchasing boxed wine. So I'm going to kind of go into that a little bit right now. Boxed wine, the it's made of cardboard, so it's recyclable, which is amazing. The box, not the wine. Well, I mean, you know, you, you consume the wine, you recycle the box, and the earth thanks you. Um, but it also, each box of wine has, I believe, at least four bottles of wine. Some upwards of five or even six bottles of wine. And they aren't rather expensive. So you get a lot for what you pay for. And... Once you open a box of wine, it can keep fresh for up to six weeks. Now, when you open a bottle of wine, if you uh, don't consume the entire bottle of wine in one sitting, that is a foreign concept to me, but I know it does happen to some of you out there. The bottle of wine can go bad within a couple of days depending on what it is. Opened wine typically does not have a long shelf life. So box wine is a little bit different because it's constructed differently. Uh, When you have the, you have the cardboard box of wine and then you have this kind of like a, it's like a bladder bag full of wine contained inside the box. And once you're done, you have a regular bladder full of wine. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So what it does is it keeps all of the oxygen and stuff out and prevents the wine from going bad. So you can actually keep it for up to six weeks. Now, again, I don't typically have a box of wine that lasts six weeks in my house, but it, it, it doesn't. And what's great, too, is that it box wine doesn't take up much space. And they all have those handy-dandy little spigots, so you can stack them on top of each other. You can put them in smaller places. They, uh, the white wines refrigerate very nicely in the fridge, and then you can just, you know, easy access with the spigot. It works really well. Uh, my favorite brands, for those of you who are wondering if I have any recommendations, obviously I do. Uh, my favorite brands are Franzia, because I believe you get... More for your dollar with the Franzia. Um, the box of Franzia, I believe, is about five bottles. And it's relatively inexpensively priced in comparison to some of the other boxed wine. Now, in my opinion, it's not as great of quality as the boxed wine I'm going to say next, uh, which is my favorite. But Franzia, what you get for the price point and the amount of wine that you actually get in the box, it's perfect. It's great for sangrias. It's great for just drinking. I'm actually drinking from a box of Franzia right now. Their Burgundy is excellent. But my favorite box wine is the black box wine. So not only is it very sleek, it's in this nice black box. Uh, It's not super bulky. I believe you get about four bottles uh, per box with black box. It's a little more pricier than the Franzia, but the wine is better. Uh, I believe it's, it's won like 50 gold medals. And... What are you going to say, Patrick? Oh, I'm just, it's good stuff. 
It is good. So uh, if you are looking to bring wine anywhere, uh, box wine definitely travels very well. It makes for a great gift. And uh, yeah, box wine. Buy more boxed wine. It's wine in a box. You can and you can drink wine after the other. Just get a bunch. Step of Step one. Step wine. Pour the wine in the box. Step two. Drink the drink wine the wine in the, in the box. box. <laughs> so, what have we got coming up? We've 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 come to the end of the year. So there's yeah, so not a lot. So we are we are winding down. We have one the winding. Con- down. We are we we are yes we are winding down and winding down. Next week. We are going to be doing another one of our historical figures, and it's one that not only has touched my childhood and Ash's childhood, but probably everyone who's listening to this as well. We are going to be discussing uh, Mr. Fred Rogers uh, with the uh, movie coming out with his sixth cousin playing him, Tom Hanks, and uh, we're going to be talking about that, and we're going to be talking about uh, the impact that Fred had not only on our childhood, but how he touched the lives of adults and children alike and just how fucking awesome of a dude he was. Yes, I'm really excited for that. So I definitely hope you'll join us. And uh, wrapping it up, again, thank you to Dominic Pace for joining us. Yeah, that was so awesome, taking the time out of his day. Like, he's been doing a ton of podcasts, and he's just been going everywhere trying to promote his character. And, you know, some... Not just promoting his, himself on, on podcasts and stuff, but like going and doing like charitable things, you know, working with the 501st. I know that he's uh, specifically donated some of his own collection to help raise money, you know, on auctions and things like that. Like stuff that he owns that was his, not stuff that he signed, but stuff that was signed for him, you know, autographs or memorabilia that he had in his collection, he has willingly donated to help raise money uh, for various charities. And if you haven't had a chance to check out The Mandalorian, do yourself a favor and do it. It's a very well-executed show. You can see Mr. Dominic Pace in the, uh, briefly, little bits in the first episode, but he is definitely prominent in the third episode. And, oh man, that third episode. Um, Probably going to go watch it again after we finish recording in anticipation for the fourth episode of The Mandalorian coming out tomorrow. You mean anticipation? Ha <laughs> ha! Ah, you see what I did there? Thank you, Dr. Frankenfurter. So I think with that, we, we will, will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. Oh, happy Thanksgiving! Oh yes, happy Thanksgiving and uh, enjoy The Mandalorian theme song. <laughs>